Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. What's going on, guys? Before we get into today's podcast episode, I wanted to give you a quick update on the Ready Eddy membership program. To this point, we've grown to have thousands of products from up-and-coming startups and small businesses in the outdoor travel and lifestyle space on the platform. You can save up to 50% off all of these products, anything from skis to jackets to food bars to supplements. Anything you could think of to support your outdoor activities is on the platform from small up-and-coming brands. It's a great opportunity to support small businesses while also discovering brands that you've never heard of. You can show off the new gear to your friends and also save a ton while doing it. If you're interested in checking it out, head over to readyeddy.com slash members to get your first month free. This podcast episode is brought to you by 14th Star Brewing Co. 14th Star is a veteran-owned Vermont craft brewery on a mission to brew world-class beer while enriching their community. We are partnering with 14th Star while we spend February and March in Vermont highlighting local makers. Not only does 14th Star make great beer, like their maple oatmeal stout, Yes, I said maple, but they also have a very strong mission to give back to their community and support fellow veterans. 14th Star believes that every person and business has an obligation to give back to try and make the world a better place. If you're in the Northeast, definitely keep an eye out for 14th Star Brewing Co. What is going on, Red Yeti Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. On today's episode, I am sitting down with the founder of Greenbelly, Chris Cage. Chris, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. All right. So for the listener that may not be familiar with Greenbelly, how would you best describe your business to them? Greenbelly makes stoveless backpacking meals. We make a 650-calorie, two fluffy meal bars, and a single pouch. So tell me a little bit about the, the, the idea for starting Greenbelly. How did you come up with this? Yeah, it kind of goes back to 2000. I went to school in uh, Birmingham, Alabama and graduated 2010 as an accounting major and was an accountant for a couple of years out of college. And uh, sometime, sometime between graduating and quitting, I started realizing that that wasn't my thing and decided to actually quit. And that was about 2012, and I wanted to see a lot of stuff. I wanted to travel. I wanted to specifically hike the Appalachian Trail. I was uh, had a Boy Scout as a kid, and we did a lot of hiking in the foothills of North Georgia. You know, at the um, at the beginning of the Appalachian Trail near Springer Mountain and all that. So I'd been exposed to it as a kid, and I wanted to do it. So I kind of thought. I was 23, 24 at the time, and you know, I said I need to, I need to do this now before I, you know, get married, have kids, and all that. So I quit and ended up going straight to Asia for a few months, traveled around, uh, volunteered for a few months, and then ended up shipping a bicycle to New Zealand from Craigslist and rode that bicycle down the length of New Zealand for three months. Um, so on that trip, though, I was burning a 
ton of calories. You know, I might be cycling up to 100 miles a day and burning a ton of calories and really far between any kind of resupply points. So, yeah, I was losing weight. You know, it was hard to keep weight on. And and building off that same kind of lifestyle, I after New Zealand, I came to the U.S. and did the Appalachian Trail for six, you know, hiked that for six months. So instead of hike or instead of biking every day, I was hiking every day on, on the AT. And, you know, that was at max, you know, we might be hiking 20 miles a day. And it was the same thing where I was burning a ton of calories and my resupply points for food were, you know, maybe three to six days apart. So I was trying to, make sure my food was as calorically dense as possible so I could make sure my load weight on my pack was not too much, but also making sure I was adequately, uh, you know, nourished for the hike. So I really started kind of thinking about some sort of some sort of ultimate meal concept while, you know, while I was hiking and kind of combine that with really where I was in life. I just quit my job as an accountant it was a stable job and I really didn't have any strong prospects for what to do after I finished the Appalachian Trail so it was kind of combining the the need of what kind of what kind of ultimate meal concept could I do as well as how would this make sense with my you know my personal life of, of what to do after the trail so I ended up finishing the AT and that was late December 2013 and I moved in with my parents after that uh, I didn't have too much money I had a little bit of money saved up from being an accountant and decided to start working on this ultimate meal product from my uh, mom's mom's kitchen that's awesome. So uh, it, that's about a two-year span that you kind of spend traveling. Is that correct? Yeah, about two years. What do you have a highlight, like that favorite moment from that experience? Wow, you know, strangely, I, I can't believe I'm saying this because I hated I hated hiking in winter. Uh, so I finished in uh, December 2013, the AT in December 2013, and I was southbound. So I finished in Georgia in December. And being a Georgian, I didn't think, you know, we might get snow every other year or something like that. It's not like I thought it would be that cold. But at that elevation and a little bit a little bit higher up, higher, farther north, it was, cold. you know, we'd have zero degree nights. Uh, and that was probably my most hated but also most loved part of it all was we had some really deep snowfall that was, I, I thought, it, it, you know, it, it would, it had would blanket the the landscape and nobody was on the trail and that kind of winter wonderland uh i know there was one time in particular we were you know almost almost not able to hike in it because it was so deep and um you know so the snowstorm was so strong but those views i I really remember just i mean it was it was pretty incredible hiking around the the Appalachian Trail with uh, it was absolutely desolate winter wonderland. So that that might be one of my biggest highlights of of those entire two years was being on those desolate winter um, trails. Definitely, honestly, being outside in the middle of the winter, how calming and peaceful it is. But also, like I've done winter camping, and when it gets below zero at night, <laughs> you're like, this is awful. <laughs> this 
it's a it's this real definition of love hate oh yeah yeah afterwards you're always like you know what i'm really happy i did it but man was that rough <laughs> yeah the, the the nights yeah the nights uh, i think also now I, I i'm more adequately prepared right if i go out and sleeping in right, right, winter right. nights like i'm 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 gonna have a zero degree bag. I think that's no questions asked. I'm not gonna be sleeping in anything um, uh, warmer than that. So, uh, but yeah, I think I was also a little ill ill prepared on those, and that that increased the hate of those <laughs> of those of those wintry times. I can relate to that. The first time I went winter camping when I was living in Utah like seven years ago, I uh, I had like a thirty degree bag, and it got to like negative ten at night oh man and I, I was borrowing gear from friends because at that point i wasn't as into it and that night those first those three nights i was like this was fun but like you said i need a zero degree <laughs> bag because <laughs> that was rough <laughs> it's i mean it's it's truly miserable in the moment you're oh, rolling yeah. around but oh, then yeah. it's also the next day you're i mean you're wrecked you know you didn't sleep well and you're like wow why am i doing this <laughs> Yep, puts things in perspective for sure. Gear is important. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Okay, so you spent a couple years traveling, really understanding that there is a need for the Green Belly uh, product that you end up creating, which you know has over six hundred and fifty calories, I think, in in the bars in like a meal, which is pretty crazy. Like if you think about it, especially it being a bar. Um, how long did it take you to really like prototype these bars to the point where? They had the nutrients value, the calories, and also tasted good. Yeah, product development was pretty time-consuming, honestly, and especially for somebody with no food background. I didn't have, well, I had had no food background. The the background I had was more market knowledge and being familiar with what was on the market, which, you know, there were some weightlifting bars that were like 400 calories, and they were really much more processed. Um, and focused on kind of a gainer mentality. Um, and the other stuff was, uh, you know, you had to cook. So getting something that was high calorie and kind of minimalist, ready to eat, that was, that was you know, new. And I, so anyway, I had no experience in anything like that. And I started working with a, somehow or another, I found out that for food product development, especially if you don't know what you're doing or if you don't have a chef chef background anything like that uh you need to start working with a food scientist you start really i I was whipping up stuff in my mom's kitchen uh that i was i was trying to google around all sorts of different concepts and i was whipping stuff up in my mom's kitchen and it was not coming out well and i quickly realized how over over my head this stuff was from i mean exactly like you're saying that you know the product has to from a a formational point of point of view it has to stick together right and it has to be a, a shape. It can't fall apart. Um, the texture has to be right. Then you get into taste, right? Not to mention um, nutrition. The thing's got to hit your macros right. And then you start thinking about more technical stuff like shelf life. Um, do certain ingredients react with each other? Um, are your oils oxidizing too much? You know, you start really getting into some really technical stuff. So I, I, I learned fairly early on that I needed to work with somebody who knew more that um you know you hear the te- technical co-founder I, it wasn't a co-founder but i really found a technical um contractor early on to work with on those early product development and those early prototypes and that took to really get a product that i felt good about that tasted good hit my hit the macros i was trying to get 
Uh, that took a, that took a few months, you know, really, really getting dialing that in, and I ended up going to uh, Trail Days, which is I don't know if you've heard of Trail. Have you heard of Trail Days in uh, Damascus for the Appalachian Trail? No, no. It's like um, I mean, it's like the the Appalachian Trail Summit, if you will. So all through hikers kind of bottleneck there for that festival. So I had the prototype ready, and I ended up handing out hundreds of samples at that event just trying to get feedback from you know my my future market you know really seeing if what hikers thought about them and uh that was great feedback because you know people were saying they were too salty they were too sweet wanted a little more crunch you know blah 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 any kind of feedback like that so um that was really helpful as well you know getting a lot of feedback from um a lot of people and uh so i think that our final our final product was kind of ready in the summer of 2014 that's really awesome so did you have any um i guess through this process was there anything that like you really learned over the time of like really fine-tuning these bars that like really stood out to you that's a good question you know we're actually doing product development or we're finished up product development for another product that's coming out and i think one thing that i learned was really working with somebody who knows what they're doing (laughs) i think like i was just talking about how complicated food can get I knew so drawing a parallel between this new product we're, we are working on and the bars that we worked on. The, I mean the the experience this this go around with this new product was exponentially faster and smoother. And I think that's just I, I really leaned a lot on. Uh, I, I definitely had I had the concept very cut and dry of what we were looking for, which helped. You know, I knew that before I was I was looser on the concept. This time I was much more crystal clear on the concept and leaning a lot more on the food scientist for more of the technical things and be aware that that is a resource that you really need to leverage. Hey, everyone. Just a quick thank you to our sponsor who helps make the Ready 80 podcast possible, Sideline Swap. Being an outdoorsy person usually means that you buy and accrue a silly amount of gear to support your activities. As time goes by and you get new gear, why not sell your old gear to help cover the cost of that new gear? This is where Sideline Swap comes in. You can post your skis, snowboard, or any outerwear in a couple minutes and make back some of the money that you spent on that gear. Not to mention, if you're trying to get a loved one or friend into skiing or riding, which we all know is expensive, you can find awesome gear on sidelineswap.com for a great deal. Some products are even up to 70% off. For more info, you can head over to sidelineswap.com. That's really interesting. Now. Um now over this time what how did you really get the word out there about green belly like what was what how did you grow the business <laughs> oh man that's been a uh, that's been i mean that took to really get to get green belly i mean, well i mean i was living at home for that i mean uh, that first year right it, it took about a year of of having that product really ready to get enough revenue to pay for my rent, you know, like that was the big, that was the big hurdle is getting you, you know, getting that, getting to that point where I could pay myself a salary to get out of my parents' house, you know. Um, but the, those early days were the first stuff we were really doing, or we, it's, I mean, it was I, I was a one-man band. Um, I was reaching out to kind of many hiking influencers you know that was 2014 2015 so instagram was not 
I don't, I don't know. It was in its infancy at minimum. It was not a big player like it is today. So these were much more blogs, you know, websites, hiking websites. I did a lot of outreach to them, and it was really just, you know, I kind of had a little bit of street cred, if you will, as far as being a hiker and kind of tr- knowing a little bit uh, of the people in that space. And maybe I have a friend of a friend who is a hiker or just saying, hey, you know, I hate, I hiked the AT last year. You know, I've got this new uh, 650 calorie product. It's all natural. I'd love to send you a sample. Are you interested? You know, that kind of uh, a pitch. I was doing a lot of that kind of stuff and, uh, you know, sending samples out to anybody and everybody who might be interested and slowly, you know, one by one, uh, a review might pop up on the internet of somebody talking about it. And, you know, thankfully that, you know, it's all positive feedback and, you know, they would write about it and it was all kind of um, completely voluntary, you know, none of this was paid or anything. So after a while, you know, those those blog write-ups and kind of really the the grinding on the the PR outreach slowly started to pay off. That was definitely the 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 first and only real big strategy was cold outreach to lots of kind of hiking outlets. And so the bars are sold exclusively online. Yeah, we have some we have some vendors that do do wholesale retail small mom and pop hiking stores, but we are vast majority e-commerce and you know, I, I see us staying like that for um the foreseeable future. And so most of the growth once you started to get that foundation of reviews out there were through word of mouth. Yeah, I think we've definitely had a lot of word of mouth. Uh I, I to quantify that in percentages, I, I don't know, but uh I think I think you know, we got some positive feedback from the hiking community, some hiking blogs, some people were reading those and might tell their friends and then slowly just started kind of building up a, uh, a you know, a customer base from, from there. And again, yeah, it was all online through our website. That's really awesome. So how did you scale the production side of it with the growth of, um, you know, exposure and orders? Yeah, that was, I mean, that was really tough. And and that first year, you know, I was making everything, packaging everything, labeling everything, boxing up everything, going to the post office. That was really, I mean, that was really, that was, yeah, that's another love hate. I mean, it's kind of fun looking back on those, that first year, but it was, I mean, it was really stressful, Um, especially, you know, you don't know if it's going to work or not. So in the back of your mind, you're doing these long hours and you, you know, you're taking a big risk with the long hours. It's not like you're doing long hours and you're getting paid overtime. You're not getting, you don't know if you're going to get paid, you know, um, in, in the long run, that is. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's, uh, that was a very um, tough first year. But after that year, and, oh, I think there's another big thing I left out was the Kickstarter campaign. We did a Kickstarter in the spring of 2015, and that raised $19,000, which... Looking back, I mean, we had a very, I think, humble goal of 10000 but that's just what we needed at the time to um, get a facility. And the facility was just a small, a small kitchen that was certified uh, to make food. They could ship across state lines. They were just much, much larger um, and, and more capable to you know, handle larger production. So Kickstarter really helped us have uh, a larger order and um, you know, get set up in that kitchen. So that, that that was huge, though, was getting that, getting them set up. I mean, they were the manpower. They were the certified facility. You know, they were just everything was a lot better going to them. I'm sure that was a nice weight off your shoulders once you solidified that relationship, not having to package and make everything yourself. 
100%. So tell me the significance of the name, Greenbelly. How did you come up with it? <laughs> that I was looking through a nature book, like a, oh, what do you call them? It's not called a nature book. It's where they had all sorts of animal species, and they're, you know, they were identifying them, describing them. And one of the animals I came across was a red belly snake. And I was thinking about red belly. It was just kind of a fun word. And then I was thinking, you know, this was all around the time I was thinking about a business name. And I thought, you know, green belly would make a lot more sense for food. Um, and it's obviously kind of a play on words, you know, green stomach, healthy food, that kind of thing. So that was it, you know, an animal identification book. <laughs> I love that. The the strangest things give you the, the ideas, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. So what's been the hardest part about starting and building Green Belly? It would definitely be that first year that we talked about that really the there's the emotional stress of, of wondering if this is going to work or not. And then there's the day-to-day -day hours of really putting them putting in the hours, you know, like I was mentioning all this all the stuff I was doing, all the different hats I was wearing. That first year was without a doubt the hardest. I mean, after that it's 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 it was difficult and it is still difficult. Um, you know, you encounter different problems with scaling. You start dealing with problems like hiring, you know, but a lot of those things are, I mean, they can be fun in their own right and be opportunities to figure out and solve problems. So I, nonetheless, you know, the, that first year really getting green belly from zero to one was definitely the hardest. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you've made up to this point? That's a good question. Ah, uh, I'm not sure if I could crystallize that into a good, <laughs> a good one or two things. There have been so many, so many things along the way that I wish I could have improved on. Um, I think one thing for sure would be I, I know going forward, being crystal clear about what our revenue channels are going to be. So PR, like I mentioned, PR was really helpful in the early days. And I wish I would have focused more on getting from getting those early sales as opposed to making sure I had my entire checklist checked. And what I mean by that checklist is things like you know, I was I was wanting to file for a trademark before I even had a product, and it was things like that that your traditional kind of how to start a business might tell you about. And I think in reality, the kind of uh, the lean startup approach was much more of the, of the approach I wanted to take, and I wish I would have taken. And I, I would consider that a mistake by not trying to get from zero to one faster and, and focus less on those kind of, oh, making sure my website's perfect, making sure I filed for a trademark, all these kinds of things when in reality I need, I should have focused more on purely product and purely uh, a strong revenue channel. Where do you see Green Belly in the next year, five years, 10 years down the road? Man, that's a great question. Uh, definitely more products. And definitely more eyeballs. I, I, I want to become more of a household name uh, as far as the, the backpacking food industry. So we're definitely going to launch more products in that space. And I think for the next year, we're probably still going to be 
heavily online focused, but I think in the next in the next year we're going to be much more uh, working on going for retail. So, just more products. I'd like to be a, a you know more of a household name in the backpacking uh, food space and launch more products. Yeah. Do you think you'll stay specifically in the backpacking world? Because I'm just thinking about my own experience, and I use the bars while skiing, and it's a great alternative to going in and spending $15 on lunch at an overpriced <laughs> lodge, you know what I mean? Or even like packing yourself a sandwich that you crush in your bag. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, just speaking about other markets, yeah, the, uh, man, yeah, we've got a lot of kind of overlapping markets, the, the kind of the middle of the day worker looking for a fast meal, the ultra marathoners, cyclists um hunters a lot of hunters excuse me a lot of hunters have been um buying green belly but yeah uh, backpacking's my background it's kind of our it, i mean it's not kind of it's a hundred percent of our, our our niche it was in our early days and i don't want to lose that that core voice if you will i really want to speak to that audience and continue to speak to that audience not to say that you know of course you know i mean at the end of the day, we're, you know, a high calorie bar. There's no way that that's only relevant to backpackers. I know it's relevant to a lot of people, but as far as our, our voice is concerned, I think we'll always speak strongly to, uh, to backpackers. What's the best part about running Greenbelly? Flexibility. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. We were talking for, uh, for, for the listeners, we were, um, Josh and I were talking for a minute before the phone call about, you know, where we were and what we were doing. And I had mentioned that, you know, I, I lived, abroad for of the past three three years three and a half years i've probably lived abroad so when i first you know got green belly enough green belly sales to kind of get out of my mom's house i've been traveling uh most of the time since then i haven't really spent more than uh f- probably more than five months anywhere so you know we've my girlfriend and i we've lived in uh thailand and spain and guatemala austin texas chattanooga tennessee um yeah it's just been that um that that location flexibility uh, as well as you know from the day-to-day flexibility you know a lot of times i'll you know i'll go rock climbing in the middle of the day and i, I love having that that flexibility from a location point of view we can kind of live anywhere and then on a day-to-day point of view it's like i don't set an alarm clock you know i I still work long hours but it's really kind of on my time which is really nice so without a doubt i would i would say the 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 flexibility and the freedom yeah the freedom is pretty nice i I woke up this morning and did a nice ski tour (laughs) and was back and working by like 10 (laughs) a.m And it's those moments where you're just like, this is nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. I, I, I really, I love the flexibility, especially coming from, I, I, I'll say, I liked, I liked my accounting job. I'm not going to, I feel like most people, you know, roll their eyes at, at accounting, like, of course, it's a terrible job, but I liked it. Uh, it was, but one thing I did not like about it was the, 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 it was a pretty rigid, we had to be there at eight and we left at five. Um, so the eight to five, Monday to Friday, that was probably my least favorite thing about that, you know? Um, and I think, I guess also building off of, you know, things that I love about Greenbelly, it's the, uh, I don't feel like there's a roof over me. You know, I feel like I can really navigate lots of waters. There's uh, kind of endless opportunities for, for directions to take. And um, I love that, you know, I wrote a book on how to hike the Appalachian Trail two years ago. And that was fun to have that, you know, uh, option. You know, I, I was, I didn't feel too bound by um, some sort of uh, rigid, you know, 
company responsibility or role there was it was very it, it was and still is very fluid on kind of um you know what is my responsibility and what kind of direction are we taking and i, I like having that um you know flexibility on and on, on where we can go yeah i know exactly how you feel like if it snows I want to be able to go skiing <laughs> or if, uh, you know, I want to go surfing for a couple hours or rock climbing. I want to know that like I can take that time. Cause for me, I work better. I'm an afternoon and kind of like evening. Like that's when my brain is just like ready to work. You know what I mean? So I like to take my mornings to be able to do outdoorsy things and kind of like re-energize myself. Totally. And it makes me work harder, right? Cause like I know I have a little less time to get work done, but I'm also more focused and more productive during that time. Hundred percent, and I'd say like going in at eight a.m. Man, like it's like I know like last night for some reason I just had a hard time going to sleep, you know. And I was like, I wanted to sleep in today. If if I would have had to be there at eight, I just wouldn't have. I wouldn't have worked as well, you know. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. Um, now, anyone who's listening uh, before April sixteenth, they can actually head over to Red Yeti for a chance to win a sample pack from. Um, Green Belly, along with a ton of other products from up and coming brands in the outdoor space. And, you know, with that, Chris, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast to share your story, share everything you're doing with Green Belly. And really excited to see what you guys do in the future. Woohoo! Yeah, join the giveaway. Thanks a lot, Josh. Good talking. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddy Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.